Good morning, church. Good morning. I am excited to worship with you uh, this morning and to dive into the word with you all. Um, As you can see in your bulletin, you will have the scripture printed there. If you would, uh, follow me as we are going to read. But before we read, let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, you are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our time and you're worthy of our attention. Father, we ask that you would use this time, and as we dive into your word, Lord, that you would teach us something that we've never seen before. Lord, we ask that we open our hearts and our minds to the truth of who you are, so we can continue to be the people of God about the mission of God. We love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus Christ that we pray, and God's children said, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, church, we are in Mark chapter 12. It is a rather, uh, it is a text that I never really sat in for a long period of time. We've read parables before, of course, during seminary, and this one was definitely one uh, that I wrestled with. So if you would, please join me as we read today's word. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man, he, Jesus, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent servants to the tenants to get from them some of the fruits of the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and, he, and him they killed. So with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. And he still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come. Let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner do? Uh, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come to destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they had perceived that he had told them a parable against them, so they left him and went away. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands and endures forever. Amen. Have you ever been placed in responsibility of something? Uh, As I was sitting in this text and feeling the pressure and the weight and the heat that Jesus was turning up uh, on the Pharisees and the leaders of the time, uh, I found it hard for me to find an example, but then I quickly found one. Uh, (laughs) And it was an example that definitely the heat was turned up. When I was growing up, my sister and I were given chores to do around the house. Maybe 
other people in this room would uh, relate and be like, yep, I also had chores to do. And I knew when my parents gave it to me, they was the realist. They were not playing around. And I'm sure uh, it was the same thing for you. My little brother, though, he was still a baby, but Sonia and I were given jobs that truly gave us some remarkable lessons. Uh, And these lessons were good, and they blessed us, and they continued throughout our lives. But some of the lessons hurt a little bit, (laughs) and they were a little scary. Uh, I would love to share an example for myself, but because my sister is not here, uh, I'm going to use an example that she had while I was a kid. (laughs) Praise the Lord, Sonia, if you're seeing this. uh, I love you. Sonia would help my mother in the kitchen. And while I was usually outside with my father, working outside or doing something with him, uh, I will never forget that my mother would need to run out of the house sometimes uh, to take care of some stuff and would put my sister in charge of taking care of the food and particularly the rice, right? She would have to take care of the rice. And while my mom was away, we as kids, my sister and I, we would watch TV, we would cut up and do things that would distract us because, well, we were just having fun and mom was out of the house and we just had some time to, to kill. But oh man, friends, let me tell you, my sister would remember that the rice was still on the stove and my mom would put her responsibility up before she left. And I had never seen her run so fast. Uh, It's probably the reason why she ran cross country because girl can run. Uh, And I think she got a lot of practice uh, because to her dread and shock, she burnt the rice. It was burnt. And, oh, Lord, these were the first moments we called out to the Lord. Lord, just heal this rice right now. Mom is coming back, and I'm over here in the corner like, Lord, help her. Help her right now, Lord Jesus. Help her, right? And so uh, so many times, because of our lack of attention, uh, the discipline would follow, of course, with our parents because that was our dinner. It was important, and my parents had given us, mainly her, because she was older than me, the responsibility of taking care of it while also taking care of me and watching over us, right? Uh, but there, <laughs> so eventually she got good and the rice didn't burn anymore because she had attention to that. Uh, but then there was that time that she forgot about the beans. So uh, she will, <laughs> her story uh, lives on and is a lesson for us and it brings us to this point right now. So why do I bring this up? Well, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is sharing a parable directed to the Pharisees and the religious leaders again. And the point he makes, he makes it straight to the point, and he makes it very clear that he's talking to them. And this is beautifully articulated in this parable. And as we look in the text here, there are three things that I want to approach the text as. First of all, we want to talk about the landowner and the vineyard. Second of all, we want to talk about God's plan and Jesus as he, as we continue the series over the Passover plan that we have been these past couple weeks. And then finally, we look to the bread and the wine and our response, especially as it is Communion Sunday. So join with me as we go on this journey. As we first approach this text, there are two distinctions that Jesus is making, the landowner and the vineyard. It starts to talk about the landowner and his intentions. He intends to set a vineyard to grow a healthy crop to produce fruit, grapes, which those grapes would be intended to make wine. And we first see the heart of the man in the parable 
and the, the intention of why he planted it. Now, there's no debate whose land this is, especially as we go into when we see it in Scripture. And he began to speak to them parables, Jesus. A man planted a vineyard. There's no debate who owns this land. This is the man's land. There's no question about whose authority he has to do whatever he wants to do with this land, right? That he is just planting it because it's his. And it's understood that the very ground that he's planting in, of course, is his and his alone. There's no challenge there. Next is to be planted. This is to suggest that at one point you were somewhere else, and now you are in another. This man is strategic in mind because there's a business to consider and he desires to succeed. And we see the tools and the equipment and the care that he has given to the vineyard. It says that he had built a fence around this vineyard and thus showing the sense uh, and distinction that this vineyard with the fence being around it is separate from everything else. You'll follow with me? This fence separates this vineyard in which, the, uh, in which there's an outside and an inside, but the inside is set for a specific purpose. Next, it talks about a wine press that is dug out to be used to take the resources of the vine, the grape, and to make a final product. The tool is the wine press. And because the final product upon wine being pressed and wine being made, there is a tower to be placed where not only the tenants and the workers of the field can stay, but a place of security because there are thieves outside and forces will be anticipated to be brought forward to kill the tenants, to steal the product and to destroy the very purpose of why that vineyard is planted. Are you following with me, church? Does this sound quite familiar? That there is a hedge of protection, that there are tools that are given because what is placed there is something that is good and that there are adversaries out there. And then the next person that is mentioned in this text upon seeing this plant are the tenants. This man appointed individuals to take responsibility of the entire operation. They are to care for the land, to sustain the vineyard, to use the tools necessary to bring about the product that gives great blessing. And these people are supposed to be the agents of this man. They were meant and they were trusted. But then we see that he went away into another country. Jesus doesn't elaborate other than the man is away, but this man is not severed from his people or from his vineyard. He is still very close. And the vineyard belongs to the man, and he will reap his reward on that which he has planted. This is a heavy piece of text. This is a heavy piece of text because there's a moment in this parable where the season comes. Jesus illustrates that at the time, uh, that the time has come that the fruit of the vineyard, which is the wine, is to be received. 
Now make no mistake about it, this wine is not grape juice. This is not your finely pressed Welch's. We see this throughout the text that in the time wine was consumed in daily meals. We see this all throughout the Jewish and Israelite, um, the people of Israel and their customs, right? And what we see is that it is meant for a blessing. It is not to be abused. The way that we can see this blessing is all throughout scripture, throughout the parables, throughout the Psalms, but you also see it being taken advantage of, mainly when you see Noah, upon the grace of God being shown through Noah and the ark, you see what Noah does. It is a twisting and it is a distortion of that which is good. This wine that is good was then distorted. It was taken too much. And Jewish law and custom, Israelite law and custom, forbade this. It was forbidden. I made words. That's what I do. It was forbidden. It was not right. This is exactly what sin is. To take something that which is good and to distort it. It is what separates us from God. We see this. And we learn that going back to the blessing in antiquity, this drink would be offered in meals, and we see in antiquity as we research that it was three parts water, one part wine. The wine acted as a purifier to mix with the water to make it safe to consume. Thus, in other ways, it is also used medicinally throughout the people. Long story short, this wine is good. This vineyard was meant for good, and the man had an intention. And the season has come. I illustrate this to tell you that through all this good, time came to reap that which is sowed, and the, tenant, the tenants forgot their place. And when the servant of the owner of the vineyard would go, rebellion was greeted. We saw the tenants forgot their place and forgot their role. And each time the man would send a servant, each time the man would send an extension of himself, we see this process. The first one, they beat him and he went away empty-handed. We see the second one, they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. The third one, they killed, and this process continued to repeat. Thus the man, the master, would send the son, enter the son in whom the inheritance of the entire vineyard has come up. And the man said, surely they will respect my son. But the tenants looked at each other and said, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance is ours. You see this clearly in scripture. And they saw a skewed belief that if the son, if they killed the son, the inheritance the land, the vineyard, the tools that were left behind, the very tower that was meant to bring security, all of it would be theirs. What a skewed view. They have lost sight of their purpose. And so they took him to violate him. They killed him to destroy him and his lineage. And they threw him out. No burial, no form of respect. The scripture says they threw him out to put this son of the man in shame and to offend. Does this story sound similar? 
And notice here that this is in chapter 12. Jesus then asked the question, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come to return and destroy the tenants, bring judgment, and give the vineyard to others to invite those that desire to do right to follow the master with the vineyard in. He invites others into this. And then he adds a portion from Psalm 118 to further push his point that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And as we continue in the Passover plan and as we live this life, we have to know that God is at work. Amen, church? That this is the Lord's doing. That God has a plan and a purpose. And as we enter into our second point, that there is God's plan that involves Jesus. In this passage itself, we can sit forever and just continue to pull apart. But we need to take a a step of maturity together, church. We need to take a step of maturity forward and not just appreciate the parable for the parable's sake, but to understand what Jesus is truly trying to communicate. Previously, right before this chapter started, in chapter 11, the authority of Jesus was being challenged. It was being challenged by the Pharisees that were trying to trap Jesus, even to the point to kill him, as we see this in the very end of this parable. In response to the challenge, Jesus speaks directly to the Pharisees. Thus, Jesus continues his reputation of speaking about the kingdom of God and to speak against sin. Now, we see through the life of Jesus that those that are far off, those that are lost, those that are weary, those that are broken, those that are hurting, He is gracious, he is tender, and though he continues to speak truth, he brings them to a better place of understanding to come to know the character of God. But to those that ought to know better, he holds back no punches. And we see evidence of that in this very parable. This very parable itself is a response to that. Jesus intentionally uses languages that the language that the Pharisees would directly connect to, the use of wine, having that be common, and to the leadership that they would turn and, and they know that they are intimate with the Old Testament scripture and the words of the prophets. They would be in tune with these things. And Jesus turns up the heat to let them know without telling them what he is going to do. Jesus used directly language from Isaiah 5. And as I read it here, uh, we see what Jesus has to say as he's using this language. Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, it says this, Let me sing for my beloved my song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill, beloved being God. He dug it and cleared it of stones and he planted it with choice Vines, and he built a watchtower in the midst and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. Is this language sounding really familiar? (laughs) To yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for to do for my vineyard? 
that I, have nothing, that I have done nothing with it. Then I looked for it to yield grapes, and it yielded wild grapes. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove the hedge, and it will be devoured. I will break down the walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed or breared, for, and the stones shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that rain not fall upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. It is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are pleased in planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, there was bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, there was an outcry. Jesus uses this very language, and Jesus in this story in Isaiah, talks about this beloved, right? And we see very common similarities. He uses this language. He is placed on a fertile hill. He dug and cleared the stones, making a way for it to succeed. He planted it with choice vine. He chose and picked it for excellence. He built a watchtower, dug an area for it to be hewed, but it yielded wild grapes. Uh, Another interpretation would be instead of wild grapes, it would be stinky grapes, Sour, not good. The text goes on to say that the vineyard is the house of Israel, thus calling out clearly the leadership. And the text comes to say that judgment comes upon them. Now, why is this important? Jesus is making the connection that our God, God has moved to fulfill the prophecy from before and now. The one in whom they were questioning his authority is claiming that it is going to happen. God is going to move just a little differently. Because we see the Old Testament, the judgment happened, and the vineyard was brought judgment on. We see this throughout the text, and we know what happens to the people of Israel, right? We see that come to fruition. But in Mark's account, it's a little different. Jesus spares the vineyard. The vineyard isn't the issue. By God's grace, the vineyard is not burnt. But he looks to the leaders and the tenants that are responsible for caring for the vineyard. Jesus blesses them with a sneak peek into the plan of salvation that God has, um, and that God has, and that is giving to his people. And it is radical, it is bold, and it is clear. Yet the Pharisees and the leaders of the time do not have eyes to see nor ears to hear this teacher. God is so gracious. He has provided our needs, and even in our trials, he has never forsaken us. The vineyard still is here. The vineyard is not burnt, but rather he looks to the tenants that are there, thus furthering that he is for you and not against you. God is in making a way, and that way is Jesus. He is the first and the last. He is the new wine. He cannot be held by old wineskin. He is calling the broken, and he heals them. He looks, takes to the hurting and gives them comfort. And even when the tenants have become wicked, even though the leadership has become askewed, nothing can stop them, nothing can stop him from completing the work that he has started. Amen? 
Nothing can stop what God is doing. This is God's perfect Passover plan, and it is the Lord's doing. Finally, Jesus uses the language of a cornerstone. We see that in Psalm 118. You also heard it in your call to worship this morning. So what does this all come together with? Jesus is communicating, I am the one. Right after you question my authority, I am telling you, I am the one. I'm the one who came from the owner of the vineyard. I'm the one that though you desired to take things askew and take my inheritance, I died. I'm the one who will see the vineyard given to others. I'm the one whom the builders have rejected. I am the one. This is the Lord's day. And he has made it so. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So what is our response when we see the bread and the wine and as we have this time to reflect? Remember I said that there needed to be a step in maturity, church? Jesus was addressing again in this text the Pharisees and the leaders of the time. The language that was used is unique to Jewish leadership. However, just as today is Communion Sunday, and we are called to be in a posture of worship and reflection, we must also reflect on our actions and how we are participating in the mission of God. Church, let me encourage you. You have been called to something greater. Due time has happened. The wine is ready. Do not be like the evil tenants. Do not try to lean on your own ability. Do not try to grow comfortable in your position, your prestige, or your prosperity. Do not reject those in whom God has sent your way. Don't do it, church. You are far more beautiful, and God expects far more. Because it is not through your strength, but the strength that Jesus gives you. It is by the grace and the mercy and the love that is extended to you. Feel empowered, church. As we celebrate, coming up on 175 years, let us celebrate with joy and excitement. Let's get a little dance going because it is a party and the table is set. But let me tell you, please do not wear the cloak of our history and just think that our best years are behind us. Church, the master of the vineyard has come and we have a responsibility to care for, to lead, and to love others as Christ first loved us. Amen. That is our responsibility. And as we see this Passover plan take place, we're reminded again that Jesus is the suffering servant. It is beautifully illustrated. And so, so in line, the fact that we get to take the bread that he is crushed and broken and that we can take the cup, as it says in Isaiah 30, 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. And like sheep, we have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him iniquity of us all. Lord, forgive us when we have not cared for your vineyard in the way that you've called us to. I pray that we would join in in that prayer. Lord, forgive us that we, when we have been ashamed and have not invited others to taste and see that you are so, so good because he is so good.
and knowing that through Jesus Christ we are forgiven, now a part of the vineyard, once we were outside, and the vineyard has been given to you, church. You are the other that Jesus talked about. You are the other that Jesus was telling. And he was showing us his plan before he ever came to fruition. You are them. So let us recall through his sacrifice that we are free and free indeed to be devoted, to be dedicated, and driven disciples, ambassadors for the Savior. And so, church, I call to you, rise up. Let us take steps and walk together to be the tenants that care for the vineyard. Let us observe our actions and continue to invite others into this love. And we must continue to work well. We must continue to work well. Let us be responsible of our actions, knowing that we are called to be at work, each and every single one of us here. Why do I say that? Because the master of the vineyard is coming back. He is coming back, church. So church, rise up swiftly, just as my sister stood up swiftly and ran to the kitchen to make sure the rice wasn't burnt. My encouragement to you, church, is to rise up because the feast is being prepared. And there is a table that is set and there are room for others that are hungry, that are thirsty, and that are lost. Church, rise up, because it is your duty to pull out a chair the same way a chair was pulled out for you. It's a party. So let us come together, because we know this story. We know this story because Jesus wins, and is still winning. And the vineyard who is the church is still alive and being pruned. And the fruit of the vine is the mission of the church, which is the gospel. And we are reminded to draw near to this table and that through his shed blood and his body broken, God's Passover plan continues to move. And as I come to this table with Reverend Scott Simpson, my prayer is this that you would be so encouraged to partake and that you would hear this Passover plan and that you would be moved to share this story with others. Thanks be to God.